welcome back to the Why Aren't You Famous podcast with Ellen Cherry and Andrew Grimm. I almost said, why aren't you serious? <laughs> so there you have it. That's a great start to the to this podcast. Um, if we could if we could just get serious about if, it. Well, if you could just get serious about it. I mean, you're all over the place today. I am. I'm just feeling the I'm feeling a little bit mentally better. And mm-hmm. so I'm starting to enjoy the ridiculousness of this world. Oh, it's a wild ride. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> it is um it is is becoming increasingly kind of like I, I guess like condensed or there's no room to breathe or do anything fun or what is it called stuff? the ridiculousness is becoming supercharged concentrated the ridiculousness gets delivered in <laughs> a concentrated dose every single morning we're, we're flavor like blasted <laughs> with ridiculousness <laughs> we're flavor blast every day we're yes yeah <laughs> every day it's like oh my god you know you wake up and you're like what what flavor blast of cheeto are we gonna get you know well, and that's one of the reasons why we're talking about the topic we're talking about that's today, right. which is that we, you and I consume this um, ridiculous mm. capsule every morning through digital sources, the internet through our devices that are run by bits and bytes. Yeah. And so today's topic is digital digital versus analog. Yeah. And um, yeah, so where do you want to start? Well, I don't know. Um, I had a lot of fun writing my essay. Good. Um, I wrote it really, it was a very quick uh, writing session where it just kind of like kind of came out there and I did a little bit of editing. But uh, um, what, what I felt strongly about at the very beginning of the whole analog digital thing, because we're musicians, there's this whole idea of like, oh, well, we're all going to be analog because we're, you know, nerds. But, you know, I love digital stuff. I love digital recording. I mean, I'm able to fix my mistakes and edit this and edit that. And I think it's really great. You're like, um, I love the Instagram filter of... Man, I, I sharpen. I, my tilt shift is out of control. Let me tell you what. Um, but I like having control. It does give you a lot of control when you're when you're working digitally. But there is also that other part where I remember analog. So I have an analog brain. And I, I have, I had an analog youth, which, Ooh, there's a good name for a band, analog youth. Um, I'm not some digital creep. Ooh, there's another, there's another, but like, I, I, trademark, I, trademark, trademark. analog <laughs> youth, trademark. That's right. Look for our new record coming out. At digital the end of this creep. Um, anyhow, whatever. I, it's, uh, I, I had a lot of fun writing it. Um, it made me think about some things differently. And I normally think about them. That's interesting because I felt this was one of my most tortured essays. It was so, I wrote like three different essays. And then finally this one, when I ha- was forced by deadline to finish it, I was just Forced like, by deadline. I saw those guys <laughs> in 2007. They, they opened up for Armed Boner. <laughs> what? <laughs> Don't bring boners into the conversation this early. Well, I thought that was funny. Also, just so you know, the mic can totally pick up your shoe tapping. It sounds like... Someone is knocking at the door. Right. Someone's trying to get out of the out of, out of the out of the yeah. Someone's trying to get out of the closet. Uh, the digital creep is trying to get out of the closet. You know, I'm not going to edit that. I'm just going to let it go. No, go for it. Because I am the one who mixes the uh, the podcast, so it's at my, at my at my whim and mercy. Can I do those things? So, but uh, yeah. So I guess we'll jump right into this because your essay is 20 minutes long or something. <laughs> Twenty. 700 minutes long. 2700 minutes. Okay, well. Wait, ooh. am I first this time? Am uh, I first this time? It, it's up to you. We haven't even picked it yet. Oh. So. No, I want to listen to yours first. Okay. Yeah. All right, here we go. We're going to listen to my essay first. Analog and digital. Binaries and enemies, old and new, although they seem to be antithetical of each other, they share a certain continuity and mutual purpose. Based on the whims of marketing, both analog and digital's brand have flip-flopped in connotation over the years. What is old is new, and what is new is an attempt to make some money off of someone else's sense of nostalgia. The stereophonic sounds on vinyl, the convenience of cassettes, 
the crisp sound and skipping convenience of compact discs, the immediacy of a download and file share, the limited edition lo-fi super cool of a cassette, the collector's edition of vinyl with download card. Analog comes from Latin meaning proportionate. Proportionate being an accurate approximation of actuality. While the word digital is defined as meaning discrete decoded digits reconstituted by protocol. Analog, simple reproduction. Digital, complex reconstitution. In pre-digital days, analog was the cool and only thing kids had for listening to music. And in time, these records became artifacts, proof that something had happened, a document to be reviewed and a physical ritual practiced carefully, gently pulling the record from its sleeve, centering the album on a simple device, dropping a needle into a groove, listening to the soundtrack in a deliberate sequence. All the while, looking at the images that accompanied the music on its sleeve. The long form ritual has been replaced, displaced, over time for the convenience and antiseptic digital information coldly decoded and downloaded into our phones and computers. Initially, one of the many improvements with digital recording and playback was to eliminate tape hiss or the sound of a room. Finally, a listener can hear the music. But in eliminating hiss and room noise, the very life of the voice of music, the air to be pushed to generate sound waves is suppressed, as well as the soul of the song. The humanity being presented is reduced. The emotion expressed becomes a diluted code, a blip rather than a beat. As we have embraced the digital age, we have sacrificed the analog warmth and permanence for convenience and accessibility. Compact discs were loud and easier to skip through the songs you didn't like. No longer is time needed to get through a song you didn't dig so much the first time. The song that might need a little more time to sit in your ears and grow on you. Now, you don't even have to buy that song. You can download individual tracks, the ones you like. It is even easier to dismiss songs than to have to consider them. And even more now, there are genius algorithms that track your listening and make suggestions for you so you no longer need to explore and songs like the ones you dismissed won't even bubble up into your periphery. What's worse is that none of these songs reside anywhere but in a digital cyber cloud that you will never see. And the ritual of analog is reduced to a swipe on your screen to play track five by unknown artist. And as you listen to your jam on a bullshit pair of dollar store earbuds, you're constantly being interrupted by news alerts, texts, and a couple of tweets. Jeff Tweedy from Uncle Tupelo and Wilco said it best when singing about listening to records. There's no call waiting in my headphones. I cannot help but see this same relationship applying to fame and success. In the past, it feels like folks spent so much time with their records and that there was a real sense of connection between the listener and those artists. People were really willing to spend a lot of time with the records and the songs, and because in the analog days that's what you had, it became an enduring relationship that colored and shaped the living experience. As opposed to now, where it seems that it is no longer a soundtrack, but incidental music tacked on to the background of a scene inherently disposable or replaceable. In no means do I believe that we are living in a time where all is forgotten. This is a generational argument. That argument unfolds or implodes with the idea that at some point, the older generation can talk about buying their first record as a solemn and sacred moment in their lives. But I sincerely doubt anyone in the younger generation shares that experience while downloading Ariana Grande's new single. But, as I once heard on a record I listened to the other day, everything dies, baby, that's a fact. And maybe everything that dies someday comes back. What is old is new again. And maybe 
just maybe, those members of the younger generation won't remember downloading Grande's new single, but they may remember buying her limited edition 12-inch vinyl version of it, even if they don't have the means to listen to it. Wow. Take that. There is a lot in there. It's very full. <laughs> it is. It is. I really, I want to start with the feeling at the beginning of you talking about the sensuousness, the sensuous experience of um, the the consumption of music that I feel like that I had, even buying a CD and listening to it all the way through in the order, the sequential mm -hmm. order of it. Um, and then previous to that, and also after that, when I started as an adult buying records and listening to music the way I had as a child because of my parents' record collection, like looking at the pictures and being completely pulled into that world in this sensuous way. And that, <clears throat> um, yeah, somebody buying a record now because of nostalgia, but not even having the memory of the experience of putting the record on the record player and the needle and, and, and being in that room and mm -hmm. listening environment without interruption, without digital interruption. Right. Um, not even just the nexus of the recording, having that sensuous feeling of the room and, um, but even and then my mind like while you were um talking during your essay i started thinking about it sparked in me thinking about the analog experience just as performance before the age of recording anything photography right right um wax cylinders any type of recording device that yes that was also this we had this brief period of time where there was an actual physical object that represented a performance right, right. it's very brief because i mean recording devices late 19th century early 20th century and then the 20th century and having a physical object that you could hold on to that represented and was a snapshot of that period of time and that sensuous experience in the scope of human experience of music is very tiny and now we are back to this ephemeral untouchable thing with digital right. recording that you don't hold the product you don't hold the um artifact right and and in most cases most people i don't know most people i don't, I don't want to speak in vague generalizations but um you know the idea that a lot of the stuff we haven't paid for you know, they, they they people listen to it on youtube or yeah you know they might buy into spotify which is nice but spotify doesn't pay the artist anything really that's an, and that's a personal thing to us too because yeah. think of the psychic um and i'm not trying to be like a woe is me thing because i feel very <laughs> lucky that i have been able to hustle a living as an artist a musician for 20 years it's that that's part of the psychic pressure pressure of of this experience is that when you are a content creator and that the content you create is valued by such a small portion of valued monetarily by such a small right. portion of the purchasing audience and that the larger audience is actually saying something that is they recognize as temporary a five dollar coffee mm -hmm. goes through their body that is more valuable to them on a daily basis than the thing that they say inspires them to right. work out or have right. sex or f be in love huh. or work on their book or minimal. get to work let's let's think about the three things you just hmm to, to work out have sex enjoy life feel joy <laughs> think okay i wasn't getting to the point that like the way that right. I, that music inspires in me also just the the beauty of having somebody paint a picture in front of you right, with right. word and melody and lyric that to me as a given sure but sure. i'm also thinking about the way that people have described the way that they use music and the way in your essay that you described that because of its disposable nature now it has been put on the wall as wallpaper fully right. yeah. like even really good music becomes muzak that you are listening to in a restaurant while you're trying to have a conversation there's lyrical music happening because people <laughs> do not give a shit about it they're right, just right, like right. oh who cares yeah whatever you can talk over this too yeah it's like that that uh, oatmeal cartoon about the exposure type of idea, you know. He tries to buy a hot dog. He's like, "Can you take this exposure?" Fuck no, you know. <laughs> well, and and I, it's it's so it, without kind of complaining about it, but where we are as a culture and where we as a society, what we value and what what actually has valuation is, um, in terms of music, it's like, oh my goodness, you know. I don't. I, I very. It doesn't seem like 
a, a large portion of, of, of folks think there's any skill into what you're doing. And even if they do think that there's skill, it's like, well, yeah, but I mean, I'm not going to give you any money for it. And uh, it's this weird kind of, I guess, I, what, I'm not really like, uh, <laughs> I didn't think about this before I started saying it. It's <laughs> okay, um, that's the purpose of this podcast. But it, it's this, it's this <laughs> right, just check back in with me later, I'll edit this out. <laughs> uh, no, it's but it's that idea that like we're in this weird kind of trap, this weird, strange maze where, you know, we can smell the cheese, but we can't get there. And and the people who can help us, you know, guide us through it are just kind of like, yeah, but, you know, eh, it's not really worth my money. But my life has, you know, everyone's life has been enriched by music in, in some way or, or other. I don't know. I don't get it. But I also don't care a whole lot. Yeah. I mean, like, fine. I'll show you. I'll keep making records that you'll listen to for free. Yeah, there's a, well, there's a defiance in there that is the... It, it's driven by the creative impulse that you have that the inside needs to get out. Right. And that's a gift that you are giving to yourself. That's an, um, you're leaving space in your own heart for that because you know of the necessity for yourself. And then the purpose of actually telling other people about it, because you could just keep all of your recordings in your computer or in your head, right. um, your songs in your head and not share them. But then there's also the additional impulse that you want to participate because of connection. Right. Um, <clears throat> but when the feedback from that is it the expectation that we are as um, animals in a capitalist system mm-hmm. supposed to survive on that alone, it, it's hard not to feel like that's a kick in the nuts, basically, of like, <laughs> well, this deserves money and your process doesn't because right, your process right. is is confusing to me because your process involves a lot sometimes having 2 hour conversations with friends and then going and sitting and thinking about it for 4 hours. Right. And how do you pay someone for that? Because really when you're when someone is purchasing artwork and or purchasing the artifact of an artwork of an artistic creation, what they are saying is that I'm supporting all of the extra stuff that has to go into that. Right. Even though I may not understand the mystery of it because it's unique to every person. I mean, like your process is completely different than mine. Oh, yeah. And oh, totally. <laughs> Mine's better. Shh, don't tell Ellen Jerry that. I can hear you. Oh, dang it. <laughs> it's, almost like a, it's almost like a voice near my ears. <laughs> no, my process is just faster than hers. Well, it is. It is faster. <laughs> I don't know if that makes it better. It's different. Well, it's different. It's, <laughs> it's different. very different. It's different. Yeah. And when you don't have, and this is part of the thing that relates to me in my mind about the fame part of it, is that I'm assuming that a famous person would have, at, at the minimum, a majority of social validation for the thing that they're doing. Right, right. Whereas... They may not, I mean, I don't know the economy of it, but, you know, they may not get the, the monetary value of it, but at least they're getting that adulation that can feel like I am doing something right because I'm reaching right, a million right. people. Whereas when you are not famous and you are working and you're just working and, and I mean, that's never been my goal. I don't think it's your goal either. Mm-hmm. But the idea being that, the adulation comes from friends, from your family, from your f- longtime fans who are love you no matter what and want you to do well and mm-hmm. believe in you and have gotten have showed their adulation and they and also have supported you monetarily. It's sort of like, well, yeah, I know you know it, but why isn't there this wider recognition right, of something? Right. And so, and yeah, that's a little bit egotistical, but I don't give a shit. Uh- <laughs> I don't. I don't know if that's egotistical enough. Or, uh, egotistical enough. <laughs> enough. I need to push it further. No, that's not egotistical. That's you know you want to reach a wider audience because you know what you what you're saying in your songs or what you're producing has value and and is you know it's part of humanity. It's part of like reaching or talking to humanity. It's you know there's um it and I think there is self validation that happens when that when that goes beyond just your your friends just the 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 circle that's around you yeah so like to hear it from a stranger who yeah who you have no personal connection to at all say hey i saw this three years ago and it stuck with me and yeah like if they they came to your show and they're like you know you should smile more (laughs) 
why doesn't why are why isn't your show funnier? <laughs> I think you would be so much prettier on stage, Ellen Cherry, if you had more if you talked more about how much women love laughing and enjoying themselves. Because really women do. Yeah, you should have a quirky dance set part of your <laughs> Of your show. For those people who are who are uh, on, there's a little inside joke going on there. Um, Ellen Cherry. I, I don't really think I should tell the story, but you know, I'm just saying that uh, you were approached by someone at, after one of your shows, and he wanted to give you some advice. What was that? I can't. I can't remember. His advice. His suggestion was: I had played a, a theater piece that I've written about women and the inner lives of women and it is filtered through my diary and through my songs and it features large-scale projected portraiture by Liz Downing and I've worked really hard on it but um there his comment was that he knew women really well (laughs) and then he knew that they love to laugh and why wasn't there more about how much women love to laugh in my program and my first thought was, and I think I told you this, that I felt like I had just been told to smile more, that I would be pretty. I would be pretty if I would just smile more. If She's I, always frowning. I would be prettier if I wasn't so serious. Yep. And I'm calling her Sour Cherry. <laughs> from so, it was one of those things where you're just like, wow, this this little micro thing just piled on a big old pile of sticks and the sticks are about to fall down. Mm. And I was just, yeah, anyway. But back to your essay. Yes, yes, my essay. Because it was so full of information and interesting ideas that I feel like I only touched touched on one of them, which was the sensuousness of having, of experiencing the artifact. But there was a lot more in there. Um, Well, before we, because we're kind of winding down on mine, but um, the one thing that I I felt that I didn't spend a lot of time on with with my essay was you know the idea of fame and success and part of that is there is a a certain dis- disposability of um of, of celebrity now um just like kind of music kind of comes and goes it seems and I, maybe it's because i've gotten older and i don't pay attention as much to like what the you know super cool new hot thing is and i'm like uh you know I, like they they mention names like guest starring on tonight or what i'm like who who is that i don't know who that is what why would i and i hate to say it but they all look the same to me so i'm like i'm like what you know they have that same stupid haircut or it's you know some dude with a six-pack or what i don't you know a couple of years ago i really felt like every single new band was wearing vests and holding banjos and had <sighs> mustaches and i thought that's the worst this is why i'm not famous because i don't have a mustache yet um, I'm not carrying my banjo and I'm not wearing a vest. And I was like, wow, like five of these bands, all the pictures are of dudes, vests, banjos, mustaches. And I thought that must be, that's the marketing yeah, mold. Man. And that, that disposability is, um, something to be actively rejected, I think. And I think you and I are kicking ass at actively <laughs> rejecting any attempt at marketing us into That's a mold. Right. I don't want to be marketed at all. I want to be, you know, what I, I, I don't want to be a flash in the pan. I want to be the pan. All crusted up and, you know, geez. Slightly <laughs> rusty. Yeah. We're talking about a cast iron skillet here, right? Yeah, falling apart. Seasoned, seasoned well with a lot of bacon fat. Yeah, that's me. So well, no, but we should talk about the disposability of it because I feel like that is um, before we even started talking um, during the podcast, we were talking about. Well, no, we did talk about the ridiculousness yeah. that part of creating artifacts that are now no longer this physical thing you can hold or hand to somebody. It is. It's very strange. Oh, on my show on Saturday in New York, the people that came, I had brought all these CDs and no one had bought any on Thursday. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to give the CDs away that accompany this program to every audience member as a thank you for coming. And I even made a joke at the top of the show as I was handing them out. I was just like, hey, do you guys remember this? It's called a compact disc and you can play it in your car. (laughs) I know you guys live in New York and maybe some of you don't have cars. And one guy was just like, I still have a CD player. And I was like, yay, good for you. (laughs) You can play my compact disc in your... I find that odd that people don't have CD players anymore. I don't... I, I, well, they're not in computers. Like the Mac computers yeah, yeah, yeah. don't have them anymore. Yeah, and Sony discontinued making um, laser drives, so they don't they don't even actually make those anymore. 
But and and I the only reason I bought that Mac was because it had a, a disk drive because yeah. I still use disks. I I I think they're more reliable to save stuff on and it's like you know I I don't trust the cloud and not because I'm a conspiracy theorist. Although I am, <laughs> I I just you know there's this whole idea I guess like yeah a compact disk is like it's it's a good like something that's reliable. And also don't I feel like there's a um. To me, when someone hands me a disc, I feel more obligated to listen to it mm. than if somebody would send me a track. Yeah. Or even something that I did even this morning is that the only way I have this these um, audio essays for my subscription service, which is available to you on Bandcamp, mm. is if I send out a download code to somebody who I want to listen to it, but I have to say, go to this website, enter this code. Right, right. They have to download. They have to unzip it. Maybe that's the new ritual. <clears throat> I remember when I put in that download code. I, you know what? I remember the sensuousness of as I unzipped the files. <laughs> oh, Grim. I extracted the Stop. hell out of it. <laughs> Slowly I downloaded. <laughs> 50, 50 shades of meh. <laughs> of of the silence of like listening and then watching. All tasks are completed. Anyway, Doom. would you like to listen to the 2,700-minute essay yes. that I wrote? Yes, and there's a word that we both used in our essays that I think I find fancy. Uh, fancy and fascinating. Oh, proportionate? Nope. Oh, uh, let me guess. Uh, a specific word. Mm -hmm. um, the? We did. Oh, my God, you guessed it. What? All right, hold on a second here. Here we go. This is Ellen Cherry's uh, part one of... A seven-part series. Uh, you'll you'll be able to download all seven parts in in crisp, high definition, 3D audio, five point one surround sound, uh, off of her Bandcamp page. <laughs> to your tiny iPhone earbuds. Yeah, your dollar store earbuds. Good luck. I have been down, down, down recently because of a bad cold, which led to about six to eight days of a pretty serious resurgence of depression, right in the middle of a four-week infirmity. In my therapist's office last week, I said, how do I know if I'm having a break with reality when nothing feels real right now? The sickness had dulled my sense of taste, my vision appeared foggy, and my eyes were tired. Every conversation sounded as though I was listening through sound-canceling headphones. I couldn't smell anything, and even my skin was binary, either completely numb or overly sensitive. Three mornings in a row, I cracked not one, but both eggs I intended to scramble for breakfast on the edge of a bowl and then promptly dumped the yolks and whites into the sink basin. This baffled me for lengthy moments. I stood and stared at what I had done, utterly perplexed about what should happen next. The generalized confusion I felt felt real, but the rest of it, the news, goings on in the lives of my friends, my work, it was so dreamlike. The result was a lot of time to sit on the couch and browse the internet and watch TV shows, but with very little attention span. I spent over a week dosing myself with NyQuil to sleep, having deep hallucinations and then waking in America, which seems like a fever dream in its own way. I spent a lot of mornings in a prayer-like state, begging for the mental equivalent of that thunder shirt they use for dogs to calm their anxiety. I'm feeling better now, but it's important to mention this experience because right before I got sick, I had seen Blade Runner 2049. I just happened to also be rereading Philip K. Dick's book, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Netflix bots suggested that I watch Tron, so I did, and it made me ruminate about playing DOS-based computer games in the 1980s and the first time I used email at college. I thought about when I started being a Netflix subscriber a few years ago and how fun it was to wait for the DVDs to arrive in the mail. It was so convenient. I could manage a list of titles I wanted to see and they would arrive in order rather than trying to remember at the video store. I recall the swift transition of opting into a monthly subscription service that involved streaming as well as DVDs and then ultimately abandoning the DVDs for just the streaming platform. The video store was gone at this point and this all seemed to happen so quickly. Even then, I began to suspect that the bewildering pace of technological change was intentional, meant primarily to confuse and distract me. 
It's not the head cold. It does seem unreal to me how much I am asked to adapt on almost a daily basis if I want to retain my relevance among my peers or my colleagues or achieve even momentary attention for the work that I do. What does seem real is how insidious the motive is. I know that my participation in the digital world, the online world, the internet, is ultimately serving up a feast for craven capitalist machinators. The cold seemed to be lasting, so after Tron, I started watching an HBO series called Westworld, based on the 70s movie by Michael Crichton. A story about engineers and philosophers and capitalists attempting to reach technological singularity with beautiful machines who harbor a deeply buried code that might actually be bicameralism or the engineered origin of consciousness. A simplistic summary, yes, but at least I was awake for most of it at this point. The slogan of the park in Westworld was, live without limits. I find that phrase to be incredibly stressful, living without limits. Having had now around 20 years working as an artist and musician during this digital age, the limitlessness of digital recording itself, the seemingly endless platforms for consumption of music, the multiple ways in which I find myself able to and somewhat required to promote my projects and work and performances, and the boundless amount of content that I could personally provide for social media should I choose to dedicate all my waking hours to it. There's no end to it. There's no boundary I can reach where I have done all the things that I should have to sing out and to participate, to let people know, to try to grab attention. But obviously there is a limit to my time and energy. I think I tend to view these boundless outlets as a gaping maw of impossibility, but I'm sure there are no limits to the criticism I will now receive for being so negative about it. What is the point of all this remembering of how things used to be while I'm sitting here made idle by a biological, not technological problem, this temporary illness? I think I am remembering because it felt like there were some limits in the time before, and the limits felt good to me. They were an emotional and mental thundershirt that pressed in and felt comforting enough to help me rest, but also restrictive enough to keep pushing and working. Those limits reassured me that there was some end to be reached and that the end would provide, at the very most, a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment, and at the very least, a stopping point. Where is the end of the park? Where is the digital fence? I am okay to live with limits, really, I am. P.S. If you're feeling unwell with a cold, I highly recommend that you enter a world that is so unreal that it ricochets between the unreal and the surreal. If you have the time, the means, and the will to get through it, at least for a few episodes, open the door to a show called Barbie, Life in the Dream House, available to you on Netflix, a distraction service which is in no way affiliated with this podcast. Yeah, you and this Barbie dream doll house. Get the title correct, please. It's Barbie, Barbie Life well, in the Dream House. Life in the Dream House, yes, of course. Well, you know... Um, I'm in deep. I'm in pretty deep. You are in very deep. <laughs> and and not only that, but yeah, your background music was like, you know, I was on edge immediately. Like, <laughs> what was that? That was one of the cats, I guess. <laughs> I hope. Oh, yeah, it was Mig. He's watching TV. Cat, no. cat TV. Cat TV. It's yeah. always on. <laughs> So, yeah, so we both used the word binary. Yes. Very cool. Mm-hmm. It's a good word. It is a great word. Um, yeah, uh, The I just want to jump right to, what is it, live your life with no limits? What, L- live, live without limits. Live without limits. What a, what a bunch of bullshit that is. My goodness. I mean, not in your essay. <laughs> it's bullshit, Ellen Cherry. Let me tell you something. You better start smiling more and writing better essays. No, your essays are great, but... Um, <clears throat> no, that whole idea of like living without limits. I mean, in the in the Westworld context, it's all about feeding the inner id and allowing that to explore like the section section violence that our our modern or our contemporary society or 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 you know or how our culture kind of restricts those things or we whatever acceptable behavior is. But then you start thinking about like that whole you know that idea that. Yeah, we should, you know, the sky's the limit and we should be bounding through all this other stuff. It's like, oh man, we need limits. Good God, have mercy. 
Because if we don't have limits, then how can you ever, how do you know where the line is of success or even failure? And even in the context of that show, like the idea of bounding in Mm -hmm. the id means that the, your brain has the ability to go into the superego and like that is a valuable thing, which is what some of what you and I and every other creative person is trying to do, which is in some ways, I think the stuff that we enjoy is pushing you from the base level like skipping the ego and jumping from like tamping down your id enough so that you can actually enter the super ego, which is full of compassion and thought and empathy and, mm-hmm. and real beauty. And yeah, the stuff on that show definitely, I, I mean, I enjoyed it a lot. Like I didn't enjoy, enjoy it, but I enjoyed the thinking that it caused for me. And yeah, I mean, but I was also super high on Michael. So <laughs> yeah, it was, um, yeah, I think that show takes, uh, just to talk about the show for a second, it takes, I think like it might be like four episodes, five episodes before it kind of calmed down, calms down from all the ultra violence and ultra sex things. And then it kind of settles into this like, oh, wait a minute, now I got to think. Yeah. I got to think about exactly what's going on. And then some of the surprises and storytelling things that they use, it's like it really, you're not watching it anymore to see the action, you're then watching it to be like, oh, no, wait a moment, what it, this means something. And I was watching it probably from about that episode through to the end where I was starting to think like, how do the machines even know who is talking to them? Right. And that idea of, okay, so if we're talking about reality, at the beginning of the essay when I said, I don't sometimes feel like I'm, am I having a break with reality? Right. Is that the same question as like, if I'm able to sit, to ask myself if I'm having a break with reality, then obviously I'm not because I'm able to question it. Otherwise I wouldn't. But the machines in there who are, you know, and the engineers who are trying to, or like uh, engineer their consciousness, that's part of the idea is like, well, who's actually talking to you? Like who's actually directing the the ship of your brain? Right, right. And there's that, I don't know. Anyway. Well, but those are, those are all like really good ideas. Like they're all points that we have to consider. And, you know, if we, if we think about going back to the idea of analog versus digital, that question then becomes, you know, uh, not just analog in terms of, because analog is like, I consider it to be the, the, the long form, um, physical, indelible, and the digital is the, you know, the, the quick and short, that kind of like the shortcut to things. And, you know, which one lasts with us and which one... Which one's an easier signal path to follow? And we and, and the digital age is all about the decoding, but also it seems like deception as well. Like analog was never about deceiving us. It's about reproduction. And then the purpose of reproduction was to listen or to, to experience. Whereas the digital seems like it's camouflage. It's something different than what it is. I don't know. I might not be making sense at this point. No, that makes sense. And I, when you said that, I realized like, well, I didn't actually in my essay try to address directly what does it have to do with the subject matter of digital versus analog. I was just thinking about how scary the limitlessness of digital. Every time when I think about entering the digital world, it does seem like I'm never going to reach the end of that. There's no guideline for that. And with the analog, the restrictions of not necessarily recording, but like life before anything that you do outside of the digital realm, there are these limitations of, well, your body can only move that fast or, right, you, right. you know, like you have to eat at certain points and sleep and be well. And, um, and our brains, I, I'm assuming I am not an Android, um, that my brain <laughs> yeah. only has a certain amount of processing power because of its animal nature, mm-hmm. because it has to spend energy on all of these other things, like keeping right. my organs running, Whereas if I was an Android, the I I would have you know a computer processing power that would just be dependent on, I guess the production of electricity or and I don't know you know like the future right. of AI would that would be a renewable resource that they would somehow power themselves with sunlight or coal, coal probably coal coal, coal fire coal fire <laughs> androids, but you know this like the what you're saying I think what I don't want to put words in your mouth but what I hear you saying is that for you the the artifact is the thing that's missing the sensuous experience from digital and for me it was like this idea of the scary boundlessness that 
it feels better to have something to push against right. or to at least meet and, and be finished. Well, because, you know, sound is made by pushing air. And, and that's, I think, a, a lot of ways, the things that we see in terms of, you know, audiences kind of diminishing over the years is because they're staying at home with their digital lives. And so their digital portal then is to turn on Facebook Live and like, well, I watched a little bit of your show on Facebook Live. Yeah, it would have been great if you were actually there. Yeah. Because I didn't, I, I mean, if I want to perform for Facebook Live, I'll just turn the camera on my house and never leave my house. Yeah. Which is horrifying. I mean, I think it's truly, truly horrifying. Um, there is something that you just said also, which I thought was reminded me of, um, there's this commercial, I guess it was an internet commercial or a cable, like Comcast commercial or whatever, and it has this kind of dad bod guy who's sitting at his house in front of a, a desktop computer and he's clicking through the internet or whatever. And then like, you know, the rest of his family is watching TV or something. It's, you know, loveless, hapless kind of marriage type of thing, kind of stereotype. And uh, he's clicking through and suddenly this like alert screen comes up on his, on, or, or alert dialogue box comes up on his screen and says, beep, congratulations, you have reached the end of the internet. <laughs> and he's, he's like, oh. And he stands up and he walks out and he goes, I finished it. And his wife says, finished what? He goes, the internet. <laughs> and then you have this moment of like, well, what's there to do? And I think at that point it's like, well, now we have, you know, infinite more internet or whatever. Don't they, worry. Don't worry. Don't worry, humans. There's, there's plenty of content out there for you. But it's like, you know, it, we have to have limits. Like I've been, I've been doing this thing. I told you about it last week. Like I've been, I've been purposely giving myself eight hours of sleep every night. Yeah. And creating limits, like saying, like, I am going to go to bed and I'm going to get up at this particular time. And I am blessed with being able to go to sleep. You know, I can fall asleep very quickly. God, God has blessed you with that ability. Yeah. Well, it's my super, it's, a, it's my super ability. It's my super, it's my super, superhuman, superman, superhero feature. I, you know, I could have had laser eyes, but I, I chose wisely with being able to sleep like that you know? good for you yeah i don't i don't regret it um but but those limits have really helped me to be rested and healthy and but all this other but i'm also like I'm, i I write better i think better when i put impose that limit and we live in a world now where it's just this whole idea of like well you you might miss something so your feed is going to be crammed up with stuff in facebook and you know, you can DVR everything and you can, you know, which I, I totally convenient. And I'm, you know, yeah, that's pretty cool. But there's a, I think there's a price that we're paying for that in the digital age. Yeah. Um, and I think celebrities are feeling that too, because they're, you know, once we get back to the disposability of, of, of fame and all that other stuff, it's like, well, what does it matter? You know, I yeah. mean, how do we, how do we kind of compromise or negotiate that digital, the digital life, the idea of what digital life is. Yes. So the, the idea of some making something that matters. Right. And okay. So if we're going on the premise that life itself is meaningless. <laughs> right. If I, we, I, I like where we're going. If we start with the idea that life. All is lost. Yes. Not all is lost, but life is meaningless. Right. There's no meaning to life. There's no meaning. Then we should just kill ourselves. No. Okay. What I'm saying is we have whatever computer game we're playing, whatever thing that we're in, whatever atomic level universal big bang expansion into this collection of atoms, mm -hmm. we have the exciting, thrilling adventure of like creating meaning, which is kind of fun. It's like being a playwright, you know, like you are a storyteller. And that's why, of course, you and I are in the storytelling business. Mm -hmm. We're in the story consuming business. We both of us love stories. We love words. We love writing. We love telling. We love singing it. It's And it's a long human tradition of communication and right. connection. And that gives it, assigns meaning to our lives. But if you're, it, yeah, we are fighting an even bigger uphill battle against disposableness because even the things that feel... It's so strange. It's really strange. It's I can't even imagine trying to navigate this at any younger age than I am now. Oh, like, I cannot imagine it. being 20 years and trying to... Well, it would to, probably like, be easier because there's nothing There's nothing to hold on to. So you wouldn't have any of the sadness and nostalgia about the past. Right. Well, and there's like... Isn't this the, the idea that, you know, uh, I think it was... Was it Aristotle and Plato or... 
uh, these guys had an argument about like as oral tradition came to an end and they started writing things down it was like ugh writing things down how will you ever know what's i mean my goodness you're just gonna forget everything yeah and it was like that technology of paper and pencil was like it was like a huge deal and so i can see all these like oral tradition guys like you kids and your papyrus you know damn it you know and something has been lost the life is meaningless (laughs) right right that's why socrates really killed himself wait he killed himself well yeah he drank hemlock didn't he I don't know. Wasn't that Socrates? I don't know. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Socrates. I could be wrong. Someone will correct us. No one's going to correct us. Has anyone actually even listened to this podcast? <laughs> we got 100 listens. Wait, I think it's really wait. funny. It's like we're, we're, we're too afraid to look at our YouTube page to see how many people have viewed. But part of that is because neither of us have really done promoting of it. No, we have. So what, what are we what? doing here, Grim? It's meaningless once again. I want to promote it. Okay, well, I know, do. All right, well, well, let's look at the budget. <laughs> Zero. Zero dollars in the budget. Well, actually, no, it was like we had $180 in the budget for the website. Did we? I think, well, it was. How much did we pay for it? It was like a hundred bucks. hundred bucks. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're both 50. We're in, the, we're in the red right now, 50 bucks each. <laughs> we got to generate some cash somehow <laughs> from this. You know? So. <laughs> You know, and we're woefully prepared. Oh, we're really cooking up the time too, which Are is we? pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's, that's fine. Um, so we're gonna take a short break and be- figure out and the fig- thing the the thing <laughs> that we think should be famous for this podcast. Right. But we'll be right back. Uh, so you guys won't even know that we're gone because there's not like some sort of advertisement we're gonna put in here. I'm just gonna hit pause. This for a podcast second. is not sponsored by Netflix. That's right. But it could be. It, it could be <laughs> Netflix if you're listening. We're back. Okay. We, we, we've had a we've had a, a little discussion. <laughs> we did have a discussion. We did. And what are we going to listen to, Ellen Cherry? I forgot already. <laughs> we are going to listen to Dolly Varden, and the song is done. Okay. Dolly Varden is a Chicago band, and they absolutely are famous. They are famous. Like this is a, a misnomer to have on on a Why Aren't You Famous podcast because they actually are famous and they've been a band for twenty five years in Chicago and they're I've amazing. never heard of them. <laughs> um, but we hope you enjoy it. Here, give a listen to Dolly Varden and Dunn. Even from the very start, things were never right. No one could blame us for trying In a dull computer's glow You muddled through the night While the world we knew was busy dying There is a part of me that holds on to home
Now spring has hit the garden, but a chill hangs in the air. I see myself and I am disgusted. But in my head and in my heart, a burning is still there to make up for all the time. going on with that tune right i know i know i know i know what a great repetition of like uh it, you know double entendre and like you know the whole i'm sorry i'm petting my cat <laughs> you look like an evil villain <laughs> <laughs> focus on the song grim i expect you to die <laughs> yeah. probably will one yeah, day well, hopefully maybe. not soon yeah that would be a bummer um i am like an evil character i'm sorry um <laughs> No, it was definitely a really cool song. I really like the production of it. Um, I like the, you know, lyrically, there's a, like, my God, how do you unpack all that? Yeah, there's a lot, because he talks about, like, the glowing computer screen, Mm -hmm. and, like, having a conversation, uh, this image of a spinning record, and also the idea that there was somebody in the, there's a, the character of the song is talking to somebody about, you know, connecting to somebody despite this distance, and... Those are some of the themes we've touched on with digital world today, stuff. Yeah, yes. with today. Today. With touching. With, yes, with touching. <laughs> and now you're touching your cat. I am touching my cat. <laughs> this guy. Not a metaphor. <laughs> it is a, it's a literal thing. Let's see if we can get his purring on. on, on <laughs> Listeners, can you hear Mig purring? Anyway, back to Dolly Varden well, and their song. Him. We okay. can't hear him purring with you Sorry. yapping all over it. Jeez. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're not yapping. Mig's just catnapping. He's just catnapping. Um, no, there's. I've always loved that song, and especially today, I was sitting here as we were re-listening to it. I've heard that song hundreds of times, and there have been a couple of songs that have brought me through um, the the dark time that I was having a couple weeks ago when I wrote that essay. That is so valuable to me and I have, you know, I've bought the music that I've listened to and right. I have valued it, but it's, it, and I hope that that person has benefited from that in a way because of the benefit that I've gotten from it. And to me, I feel like, yeah, I, I, I know that we're all, I want to assume that most people are trying to do their best right, in that. Right. And it is an uphill battle for consumers and for c- content creators of how to, I think there's a lot of people who are very who are wondering about how to support creative people, and it's hard for them too because they think they're doing the right thing. You right, know? right. Yeah, I'm. 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 I, I downloaded the song and then I gave it to my friend. That's that's good, right? right? Well, yeah, it's good. I mean, it's better than nothing, I suppose. But but the the thing that I always find is like when I'm a lot of the music I get, you know, I <clears throat> I buy stuff off of Bandcamp and I'll buy things at shows, um, but also you know it's that you you do a little disc swap or whatever when you're playing shows with people and you know you're giving you're giving away what you have and you're getting something from somebody in return and so there's this kind of barter type of thing that happens with as well which i think is completely fair um and i i also like to support people and i don't know if it really means anything coming from me but i'll if I'm if I'm listening to somebody's song, I'll you know I'm like oh that's wow that's a really good line. And then I I'll send them a text. I'll be like I'm like that line's really great. Yeah. You know in case you, in case you didn't know it. You know wow that's like you know some really cool stuff. Um, and you just try to be supportive that way too. I think. Yeah. It goes a long way. You know. You know. And speaking of people who have given my life meaning and have also not quit, 
Steve Dawson yeah. and Diane Christensen and Mark Belletto and I'm totally spacing. Oh, please forgive me, Dolly Varden on the other two band members' names. Oh man, you can go to dollyvarden.com. <laughs> I and hope learn, his name's Donnie. <laughs> learn all about them. Yes, um, and they have multiple records, and and that song is just the tip of the iceberg that you will um, you will if you explore their music, it's pretty incredible. And people in Chicago and beyond Chicago already know that. And hopefully this reaches some people who haven't heard of Dolly Varden before. Yeah. You should totally check them out. Um, I opened for them, didn't I? Yeah. Surely you did. <laughs> you did. That's how I met Dolly <laughs> Varden. Met yeah. But that was Steve on his solo tour. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, let's reminisce. It was at the Mojo room on Blair road in Baltimore, Maryland. Oh yeah. Well, Blair you imagine owned by Andy Bob of right? miracle bra and love nut. So I came to the show to see Andrew Grimm and he was opening for a guy named Steve Dawson. And, um, I was the audience. I think it was actually Dolly Varden. No, it was as sweet as the anchor album. Oh, okay. So he would consider that a solo tour, his like solo album. Oh, I seem to remember him having a whole bunch of people. He there. had the band with him. Yeah. So he had a band with him, but they weren't touring as Dolly Varden. Well, I'm I am not the the president of the fan club, the Maryland <laughs> chapter. Yes, I am. <laughs> Jeez. So anyway. Mm-hmm. Ooh, what's our next episode about? I don't even know. We have to look. We have to look. Well, before we do that, though, we have we have a new feature that we can do now, which is, and I think we're going we're way over an hour at this point. Oh my the, god! The podcast, <laughs> but it's it's so cool. We we can add a feature, uh, uh, listener mail. Yes, we did have a listener mail. We had listener mail. Um, this comes from somebody that we we won't. You know, I don't want to disclose who this person is, so we'll just call this person Seth B. <laughs> Uh, wrote in and uh, here's his, his email. Um, it's a really long email, so maybe I should. No, I, I'm going to read the whole thing. No, don't read the whole thing. We're oh, already okay. over an hour. All right, all right, all right. Maybe we Jeez. should save that for the next one. Well, oh no, he he said I will suggest one uh, topic for future podcasts. Okay. You guys should list and discuss your examples of good fame or worthiness, as Grima Z put it. I'm thinking of, of musicians as an obvious first step. One example that comes to mind is James McMurtry. Yeah. Who has had steady work, as you say, Kristen. Discussing other artists would be interesting, too. For instance, who the hell would be considered the last great novelist? Seriously, who is that? And will there ever be another Hemingway type of celebrity writer again? Oh, I think the answer to that is never again will we have somebody like That's that. That's something that we touched on, but we did not discuss in depth in this podcast is the idea of the universal world musical moment right that existed when there were the gatekeepers of record labels and radio stations and now that those gatekeepers have been removed and that the idea of um democratically experiencing artwork has been is totally shifted now to marketing how good a marketing you are um the the idea of having a, a musical moment as the world right you know, like somebody has a hit song is very light, low. And yeah. it makes me think about something I did want to mention earlier that the last time that I felt that actually happened was when um, Random Access Memory from Daft Punk came out a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. And there was that feeling of like, this album hit a lot of different genres, dance, electronica, rock and roll, um, hip hop, um, songwriting, it was like it had all these different expressions in the album itself. It was obviously also mastered for people to listen to on computers because it sounded amazing through the digital, you know, like in earbuds, it sounded great. And on computer speakers, it sounded pretty good. Um, And that was fascinating to me. And I was just like, this may be the last time that we actually have that. And I wonder why that is where people are actually across genres able to, to concentrate on one song lucky, you know? Well, I think the reason that we we have that is because, as with the with with the digital age and all this other stuff, it's all been about you know you take it back to the idea of the personal computer. Everything everything has been individualized, and we are we are compelled to be isolated and not sharing certain things. And as our access to to material um, is created, we're no longer looking. I don't look at the Billboard chart to be like, oh, who's top ten? Nobody gives a shit yeah. about any of that stuff anymore. It's really just about like you make your own private 
playlist of what you like. And that's why the millennial generation, you ask them what they listen to, like, oh, everything, you know. And then you look at their playlist, and their playlists are... Everything. It is a lot of different... It's not everything. Yeah. But it's a lot of different stuff. And there's not one genre that anybody feels compelled to follow anymore. It's the it's the mismatch of everything um, that, that is out there. Like, the, all the potential could be everything. Which is weird, because the thing that we were talking about before with the boundlessness of, of digital exploration is that you should be able to drive down as deeply into your obsession mm-hmm. as you, like, in a way that no one ever could before. Correct, yeah. But, it I don't know, it's like... It, it doesn't seem good I, for me the way that I dive into things. I'm not a generalist in some ways, but I, I do like a, like the Renaissance idea of gathering a bunch of really beautiful, sensuous, amazing things. Right. And then drilling down into a few of them as my whim pushes me to. Right. I don't know where I'm going with that. Well, and the, but that, that brings us back to kind of Seth B's argument or at least question like you know who's going to be the next great novelist it's like well there's not going to there's never going to be another tom petty there's never going to be another bruce springsteen there's never going to be another u2 there's never going to be Mitchell. there's i was getting the Joni mitchell no, nina simone there's never going to be an any, any of never again um and if anybody says oh well taylor swift well no i'm sorry you, you need to listen to her new record and you listen to npr's i heard npr's review of of what is it reputation or whatever the crap it is um, and we watched that video. Do we watch that together? We may have watched it because I was interested because I had met her co-writer on that song. Yeah, Jack, it's Jack Antonoff. It's yeah. terrible. It's a terrible. A, it's a terrible song. B, it's a terrible video. And C, it's uh, I, uh, who I don't care. Well, like, I, I don't care about Taylor Swift and her fucking fame. I'm sorry that you, you know. I mean, like. I felt a sadness with it because it felt for me to watch. A, it, I looked at her as a person and thought. I am sad that already under the age of 30, she is has so swiftly moved from <laughs> something that, like a trajectory with her, th- th- there's not going to be anything. It doesn't seem to me that she's on a trajectory to reach so- a deep place, a deep <laughs> emotional place. And I felt sad for her as a person because I thought, that's weird, but maybe she's okay with it. Like, I'm so sure who cares? She, well, yeah. you know, as far as she's concerned, it's tailor-made for her. Yes. Oh, we both used her name. What? Look at that. We're clever. And I didn't like the song because the song, to me, it and the video, it just, it wasn't for me. You know, mm. like, and I'm, I wasn't pulling at anything deeply emotional and it just seemed, it was really like, it's the first time I've, I I don't uh, full disclosure I don't know her music very well and I haven't been prompted to investigate further so I'm not a great person to talk about like the depth that Taylor Swift might have in her catalog mm. I don't know that but seeing that video it w- really grossed me out. It's more like depth. I was really rather than depth. I was really grossed you, out. You can put a you can dip your toe in it. <laughs> But that's, you know, that's my cousin Donnie. He, uh, no, we cannot introduce he, that character, Grim. We have to stop. It's over an hour and people have stopped listening at this point. <laughs> they have not. Okay. So you have just heard an hour and 10 minutes of why Andrew Grimm and Ellen Cherry are not famous. They're not famous. And let me tell you, we, we, we could go on for four more hours about that. Um, I don't even know if we've actually even talked about our own bullshit, so... But it's fine. Yeah, because um, where are we supposed to be going? We're supposed to be going at this point. What is our city? Uh, Wait, what is our city? Chicago? Chicago? Did we already talk about Chicago? We haven't talked about Chicago, but that is kind of a nice dovetail into... Let me look at the calendar. Talking about Steve Dawson and... Yeah, because at this point, we are on... This is our sixth podcast episode. So we are looking at possibly Chicago, Illinois, or Lawrence, Kansas. Right. But since we played a Chicago band, let's talk about Chicago. We hope to go to Chicago yeah. in March. Yeah, we have a, I, I have a super fan out there, Emily Yeager. Great. She's going to get us cool. a show. Uh, well, no, I think Steve Dawson should get us a show. It's because we're going to be there on a Saturday night. Okay. So why can't Steve Dawson get us a show? I don't know. We need to do, I need to call him. You need, you need to call Steve yes. and say, Steve, we need a show. <laughs> I'll work on it. Steve, if you're listening to this, if you've made it through. <laughs> we love you. Far Please. Over, I well, I played a show with him, um, I guess, two years ago, a year and a half ago. He helped me set up a show. Yeah. Um, and played with him. And I was, I mean, super nice guy. Yeah. Great songs. Great performer. Um, just effortless. Yeah. You know, when you when you see him play. And uh, very encouraging, you know. and he's, he's a really great guy. He's you know, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I really like him a lot. So, Grim. Yes. 
I think people should subscribe and get all of your back catalog. How can they do that? Well, you know, if you're going to do that, I would go to junestar.com. Oh, I'm sorry, junestar.bandcamp.com uh, backslash subscribe. Okay. And, uh, you know, $5 a month. You know, we got a new Junestar record coming out in a couple of months. Um, I'm What's the title of that one? Uh, East on Green. East on Green. East on Green. And uh, it is a it is a it's a cool record that's being mastered right now as we speak, and uh, you know that's all I'm going to tell you right now. Great. Um, now, Ellen Cherry, I was curious because I was trying to buy some of your material and I couldn't find it on the internets. What? What? Where, where would I? Well, I was just going to Ellen Cherry, Ellen Cherry dot com, but I, I, I you didn't click on the store page. I didn't. So uh, wait, if I went to Ellen Cherry dot com and I clicked on store. That takes you to ellencherry.bandcamp.com. Oh, I thought that would take me to Ellen, uh, storage place. <laughs> no. So that takes me to ellencherry.bandcamp.com. So maybe I should change the title of that page to buy. To buy, yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, and I was trying to purchase an Ellen Cherry, but... You can't. There's they, only one me and I can't be bought. Motherfucker. <laughs> wow. Why you gotta, Why you got to talk like that? That's not nice. So, anyhow, but we can buy, we can subscribe. You can go to the, the, when you go to the Bandcamp page, the first page is the subscription page. Oh, and cool. I'm currently um, producing exclusive content for subscribers that has to do with these audio essays surrounding this terrible car wreck that I was in. Oh. So it's super fun. Well, and it, it'll make you laugh. It's a laugh riot. <laughs> because we all know that women love to laugh. They do. And you know what? She's smiling, ladies and gentlemen. She's actually smiling. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, she is so pretty when she smiles. So much prettier. Man, I tell you. It makes me want to go buy some of her records. <laughs> so, all right. Well, Ellen Cherry, until next time. Until next time. All right. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye.